Do you reckon there's more doors or wheels in the world? What? Have you not seen that on Twitter? I've not seen it, but I heard people, people talking about it. massively saying, like, you know, like the black and gold. Or yeah. Like the other there's obviously like more wheels, because if you think about a car and a bike, they've got more wheels than one door. Yeah, but what about yeah, but doors? Car, door, a, car doors. Yeah, but I was going to say, a car yeah, has four wheels, not, but it can be yeah, five doors. bikes. Bikes don't have doors. Yeah, but what Ooh. about cupboard doors and kitchens and shit like that? Oh, dear. I, I'm on I'm on wheels just because I'm Lego Lego produce loads of them for their little cars, but they don't produce any doors, <gasps> do they? I didn't even consider Lego. You've thought, about that. Lego's You've thought the, very Lego's deep the into this. Producer of tires in the world. Oh and if you God. think all the cars and the cogs and shit inside, what shape are they? Oh, circular. <laughs> Bikes, gears. What are they? Your circular mom. again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I did make a joke about your mum then. That's too far, that. I know, I did take it too far, I'm sorry. So, are we ready? Yep. I'm Maya. I'm Ben. I'm Eve. And I'm Gabe. And this is Nail It or Fail It. Order. 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 Though it was less than ideal for me to be Secretary for State for Leveling Up and Housing and Communities, I was determined to do well. This is why... I had to call upon Edward Ferrari, a politics lecturer that specialises in housing. Right, first of all, just tell us briefly who is Ed Ferrari? Hi there, I'm Ed Ferrari. I'm the director of the Centre for Regional Economic and Social Research, or um, CRASER, uh, which is a, 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 a policy research centre at Sheffield Hallam University. Perfect. So you'd like me to say a little bit about what uh, you should do as a secretary for levelling up in housing. Absolutely, yes, please. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot on on the agenda. As you know, um, the Department for Levelling Up Housing Communities has recently published a white paper on levelling up, and this is being touted as a sort of once-in-a-generation opportunity to really take seriously the, cha the, the, the challenge of overcoming um, significant social um, and economic disparities across the UK. Um, I think it's a paper that's been broadly very much welcomed uh, by a range of different stakeholders. It has a lot to say. It's got a very challenging um, ambition. It's an ambition that I think the White Paper and the current um, government uh, recognise is a 10-year, possibly 20-year sort of programme of, of work. It talks about 2030 as being the earliest that we can expect to see some significant outcomes of, of that levelling up challenge being addressed. In terms of housing, we know that the UK has a housing crisis. I think more accurately, it has a number of different housing crises. Uh, depending on where you live and who you are. And I think that ranges from, for example, um, extreme problems with affordability in certain cities, in certain parts of particularly London and the southeast, where we know that prices are anything like 14, 15, 16 times the annual um, average income for a household in the area. And if you're on a low income, even greater than that, of you know, getting on the housing ladder in those parts of the country, even if you're in work, even if you have a reasonably decent job. 
let alone if you might be in a more difficult situation or very, very remote. However, in other parts of the country, we know that affordability is still a challenge, but it's not necessarily because housing is particularly expensive. It may be because incomes uh, are, are particularly weak. Um, so in some of the more economically challenged parts of the UK, where incomes have completely failed to, to sort of keep pace with the rises in cost of living, um, where there may be actually few jobs in the first place uh, and there's a sort of general economic weakness. It's a slightly different crisis and it may be a crisis whereby families um, or individuals that are in housing need are having to go into really poor quality housing, housing that might be being uh, let by uh, landlords that, that are not entirely committed to maintaining their stock to the best standards, uh, where housing might be um, unsafe or, mm. or uh, causing health problems through, you know, mould or damp or other problems, or indeed that the location of housing that some families or some individuals have to um, accept is, is really bad. You know, so we know about the problems of poor air quality. We know about the problems with uh, the cost of living, meaning that people sending their kids to schools or commuting to jobs or to university can be very, very expensive as well. So it's a whole perfect storm of different issues but it does look slightly different in different parts of the country. Some of the housing challenges that I've just talked about actually will be tackled in a different way. They may be tackled through transport policy. They may be tackled through labour market policy. They may be tackled through um, uh, a commitment to share, to share prosperity, new jobs and educational opportunities more fairly around the country. If we are looking for some of the types of interventions that a government can do around housing, I have four ideas, I think. Yeah. The first, the first of those is that there is a sort of um, concern. If you're a private rented tenant in England, you can be asked to leave your property with relatively little notice for no reason. Yeah, a reason doesn't have to be given. Whereas in other parts of the UK, the protections for tenants are a little bit stronger where a landlord has to have a bona fide reason, like um, they uh, need the property for their own family use or, and, and in any case, tenants have a longer period of time to make alternative arrangements. So reforming the private rented sector is something that the government has been committed to. And when the coronavirus crisis and the pandemic hit two years ago, uh, the government was very quick, rightly, to bring in some emergency legislation to protect tenants from being thrown out in the street, um, you know, during a time of pandemic. Yeah. Um, and the levelling up paper does signal a commitment now that we're sort of moving out of pandemic conditions to uh, look at how those reforms to the private rented sector can be continued. So I think there's a couple of things in there. It's about uh, sort of increasing the certainty for tenants as to what their contracts allow them and lengthening the time of notice that a landlord have to give them in terms of 
quitting the property. I think it's about ensuring that landlords have to give re you know, reasonable reasons and back up those ev reasons with some evidence. It's about limiting the frequency and potentially the amount of rent increases that can happen. Um, you know, maybe making those only every once a year or every two years or something and capped by a certain amount in relation to inflation or something like that. And I think critically, it's also about introducing some sort of register of landlords, because at the moment, there is no legal um, test for, for, for a landlord to undertake. Anybody can be a landlord, even if they're patently unfit to be a landlord, you know, because um, they've demonstrated that in the past they've been a bad landlord, for example, or they've broken the law around renting property. So I think introducing some kind of fit and proper test, as well as having a register of landlords, should um, increase professionalism and it should encourage good landlords, of which is the majority, of course, you know, to, to, to advertise the fact that they are good landlords and hopefully drive the bad, the bad landlords out of the game. And I think it's something that's been quite successful in Scotland. So Scotland has a landlord registration system and it, to my mind, it seems to work reasonably well. So that's the first thing. That's around reforms to the private rented sector. Second thing is, is related to another set of legislative reforms, which um, the government has consulted on and I think um, should you know, take quite seriously in terms of bringing forward. And that is reforms to leaseholder, to, to, to the rights of leaseholders. One in five homeowners in, in England own their property, but don't own the land on, when it, on which it sits. So they're leaseholders, but they're not freeholders. So one in five homeowners actually only own their house, uh, but the land is on a long lease. And sometimes that's a very long lease of 900 years. Uh, sometimes it's a very long lease that's no longer as long as it once was. You know, and, oh, and, and some, some leaseholders might only have 70 or 80 years running on their lease. Right. So can the government repossess the property then? Because the land... Well, the government the won't there. repossess the property, no. Um, the, 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 the property, what, what happens is that the, the leaseholder has to pay a standing charge to the freeholder, and there are no limits to how high that charge can go. And often it doubles every couple of years. Mm. So if you can imagine that what started off 900 years ago as a peppercorn rent, you know, that doubles every couple of wow. years. And now, you know, people are stuck with very, very large, um, what, what used to be called a peppercorn rent, but they're very large payments. M more recently, it's become very problematic for people who live in blocks of flats. Since about 2000, we've really accelerated the number of flats that we build in England, uh, so much so that the vast, um, the majority of new housing, particularly in cities, is provided as flats rather than traditional houses. And those flats are usually leasehold properties. And it means that if you own one of those flats, you have to sign up 
to paying uh, maintenance charges and kind of common charges, which are about the upkeep of the whole flat complex. Now, mm. you might sound that's, that, that sounds fairly reasonable because everybody should share in those costs, yeah. except that there's very little control about how what those costs would be. And there's no democratic process to, 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 to oversee how those costs actually are spent. Um, you know, so for example, some owners on a flat in a complex might say the roof is absolutely fine. It'll be fine for another 10 years. But the freeholder is saying, no, I'm going to do the roof now and it's going to cost, you know, £160,000 and you've all got to pay. <laughs> you know, and you wow. have no say in you have no say in that. And this has really come to a head with the um, post-Grenfell. So the tragedy that we knew, yeah. we know about in Grenfell was caused by defective cladding. Cladding has been added to lots and lots of flat complexes around the country. That now has to be repaired. It's got to be removed. It's got to be replaced with proper fire retardant safe cladding. And the scandal is that leaseholders are having to pay lots and lots of money and they have no control over that cost. So the government, I think, should be committed to reforming aspects of the leaseholder system to mm. make it fairer uh, for, for leaseholders. Now, bear in mind, in some parts of the country, like London and the northwest of England, like Manchester, Greater Manchester, over um, about 35% of property owners are leaseholders and are stuck with these charges. So that's the second thing, leaseholder reform, which I think is all about fairness, because in some parts of the Hardly anybody is leaseholder, a leaseholder, and in other parts of the country, as I say, it's up to 35%. So it's, it's really a question of fairness in some senses. Mm. The third thing, the government has tried to tackle the affordability crisis through planning and construction of new homes. That has been its principal lever that it's tried to pull. It has a target of 300,000 new homes per annum, and the government's view for about the last decade has been if it can build 300,000 new homes per annum or encourage the private sector to build those homes and it can make sure that planning permission is granted for about that quantity of new homes, prices will start to come down. Mm. However, the evidence is a little bit more complex. The evidence is that in some places when you go up rather than down, that's a bit of a puzzle. Um, the evidence is also that it's very, very hard to get those homes built, even when planning permission is provided. And one of the reasons for that is that the developers are very competitive and the developers do not want to flood their own market. So if I'm a developer and I own a nice plot of land on the edge of Sheffield, I only want to build a couple of houses a month because if I build more than a couple of houses a month, the price is going to go down. Yeah. because the more pr properties there are at any one time on the market, the price goes down a little bit. So it's in my interest as a developer not to develop too quickly, just to keep it nice and steady. And because everybody acts the same way, we don't meet the 300,000 houses target. Mm. So what I think government needs to do is recognise some of these economic realities. I think it needs to have a much more conscious and explicit objective, which is about regeneration rather than just 300,000 new houses, wherever they are, because that's the other thing. The government in the past has demonstrated it doesn't really care where those houses are located. 
Whereas I think as academics and others that are kind of active in the property market, no location is everything. And it's if the housing need is in a part of Sheffield or Manchester or a part of London, then we should be working really hard to regenerate poor quality old homes, brownfield housing sites, you know, so sites that used to be industrial, sites that used to be offices and converting them into housing. So regeneration, I think, has a, a really important role to play. And it's really good to see that in the levelling up paper that has been recognised. So the levelling up paper, I think, commits government to move away from just thinking about 300,000 new houses, doesn't matter what type they are, where they are, let's just get them built, to a more sophisticated um, sort of idea of, well, actually, where we build these and what type they are does matter. And if we can regenerate you know, land, uh, we'll get other benefits as well, like hopefully being able to develop properties that are more carbon neutral because we're reusing old assets uh, and we might be able to develop housing that's more central so people don't have to commute such long distances and things like that. So regeneration is really key and that's the third thing that I would do. I hope I'm not talking too much because I've got one no, more no, thing to talk ahead. about. No, no. The fourth and final thing that I think yeah. the um, Secretary of State um, should do is take really seriously the potential of communities up and down the country to, potent to solve their own housing crises. Um, there's a lot being said, including in the white paper, about empowering communities. Mm -hmm. And there are tools that are available to us as a country that we've only really scratched the surface of exploring. And one of those is community housing. There have been some really good experiments with things called community land trusts, whereby land, which could really be used productively for good quality housing, um, isn't necessarily sold to the highest bidder if that land is owned by the public. So let's say an old hospital or a fire station that moves to another place and leaves behind the old land. Um, rather than selling that land off to the highest bidder, why not give it to the community maybe not give it, but sell it at a favourable price to the community, which keeps it in trust. And then that community develops housing um, that's affordable. And because the land value has been kept reasonable, the, the prices of the housing that gets built on them, because the community is building it, it's not necessarily looking for profit. The prices can be kept reasonable as well. So there's an untapped potential around community-led housing. The government has supported um, community housing experiments through some small-scale funding, but I think it could probably do a bit more. Um, the model has been shown to deliver quite considerable benefits. It helps unlock planning as well, because if you remember that one of the things why people don't get planning permission for housing is NIMBYs. People don't want housing in their backyard. Um, it's just like an innate human response. The minute you give local communities a little bit more control over planning and you say, well, actually, the community can also build the housing, you get a different sort of dialogue, a mm. more positive dialogue. And so I think there's more that can be done to explore the potential of community-led housing. So I think 
in sum, lots of things that the government can do, lots of things that the government has signaled it's willing to explore. Maybe the time now is just to get on with some of these things. Private rented sector reform, leaseholder reform, proper approach to regeneration, particularly regenerating brownfield land yeah. and exploring community-led housing. Perfect. So I've got a question. Uh, council houses or social housing in general, are they under the same umbrella? Do they go under the same umbrella? Not, not entirely. Um, and I think I've not talked about council housing specifically because there are some challenges around council housing. I'm trying to take a bit more of a kind of tenure blind yeah. approach. I do think social housing and council housing are an important part of the mix. Um, I think we have to recognise it's very varied. I think if you look at a city like Manchester, the, the core of Manchester, um, around about 70% of the housing is social, is, is social or uh, council housing. Wow. And they would argue that they need to, to rebalance that a little bit. Whereas you go to other parts of the country and there's virtually no social housing left. You know, so it's again, it's a bit of like, we need a place-based approach to understanding what's the right mix. But yeah. in any geography, I do think we need a proportion of council housing, which is properly affordable. It's high quality. It's not just seen necessarily as a tenure of last resort, but as a real anchor for communities, um, you know, places for families to put roots down in an area, particularly if they, you know, they don't have the best jobs, for example, because the, yes. the, the economy is quite quite weak. Um, but there needs to be a balance because most households, even households in, in council housing, do harbour some aspirations for ownership. Yeah. And so I think there is going to be a role also for low-cost home ownership, for shared yeah. ownership. But it's about getting the right quality of housing at the right cost in the right place and ensuring there's a bit of a mix of tenures in any one geography, that you don't have a kind of situation like Manchester where it's basically all council housing, or a situation like some, some seaside communities where there's virtually no council housing, for example, and there's lots yeah. of poverty. You know, uh, uh, we need a bit more of a balance. Uh, I looked up something about social housing. Some social housing companies basically they don't sell their houses or they would sell part like their houses partly. Is the secretary for housing, would he be able to kind of force them to, you know, sell the houses entirely rather than partly? Would that be part of his job? Can he do that or not really? It does depend on how those houses were funded in the first place. Yeah. So if a council house uh, the occupant of a council house always has something called the right to buy. They always have the right to buy their home if they can get the money together um, at, at a discount as well. If you live in a housing association property, it may be, depending on how it was funded, it may be that you have what's either called the preserved right to buy or the voluntary right to buy or right to acquire. So there are various different legal mechanisms. Um, and it may be that you can either um, buy your home or you can buy sh a share in your home, a kind of shared ownership. But, but generally, because the government, the Secretary of State doesn't own any houses, the government doesn't own any houses. And of course, the history of, of, of state-provided housing 
in the UK is it's provided by the local state, local mm. government. It's local government that built those houses or it's local housing associations that built those houses. And so in terms of ownership, the government has very little that it can do. What it, what it can do is that it can ensure that new, fun, new funded houses are um, where, where those are affordable or social houses, that the kind of rules of the game are set that limit or set sort of expectations about what residents can do, how much they can buy, um, what discounts they get and so on. Perfect. Can you t- talk to us about the budget as well? The budget that's uh, upcoming this week? Mm. Um, I'm not uh, sure that um, I've been uh, too sort of looped into exactly what's um, happening uh, there. What I have heard is that the this, the budget is unlikely to provide anything that's kind of radically different. I think the comprehensive spending review, which was last year, that, that kind of sets much bigger picture investments in different policy areas in government is really just going to be kind of moved forward. I think the Chancellor will do some things around ameliorating or softening some aspects of the cost of living crisis. Mm. I think those might be around some kind of like further caps or tax rebates on energy. It might be about reducing fuel duty for petrol and diesel. On housing, I am not sure other than possibly announcing some signals around further reforms to the private rented sector leaseholders like we've talked about earlier i'm not i'm not sure i can see that there's going to be anything very significant i may be wrong but right uh final question it might sound a bit weird but in order for you to be able to be the secretary for housing do you have to be born in this country um i don't know the answer to that (laughs) i i I don't think so i would hope not i don't think we have that sort of um uh, system, um, but it's I'm, a I'm sure question. you have to be British, British citizen, but but do you have to yeah, be yeah. born in this country? Because I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not from Britain. I'm not from the UK, so that's what you know. That's what came up to my head. So I thought, I'll, I'll yeah, I, it's a really, it's a really very good question, and I'm afraid I don't actually know the yeah. answer. My, I'm ninety percent sure. I don't think you need to be born in the UK, <laughs> but I think you're right that, 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 that you know, un, unlike people talk about that in terms of America, you know, and yeah. holding certain positions in the US and, and and so on, but I don't think that's the case here. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah that's it's nice, nice to play Secretary of State for a few minutes, but yeah. um, good luck with the rest of your project and your work. If you need anything more from me, just drop me an email. Absolutely. Thank you very much for making the time to talk to me. All right. Very really much. nice to Have meet you. Have a nice day. See you. you too. Thank Bye. Bye. Now I had some sort of an idea as to how I should do my job. I started to look at my task and how I was going to make it work. So after speaking with Ed, now I realise that I've got a very tough job, a job that I had no idea about. So I think one of the first things that I need to do is go down to local communities and speak with people there just see if they have any issues, any troubles, and try and put a stop to it. Another thing as well, since it's my, well, my first time in office, I think the first period of me being there might have some 
issues or some flaws or some scandals. So to avoid all that, I think I may need to get in contact with former uh, Secretary for Housing and Leveling Up and see if I can get any advice or tips from them on how to do my job correctly and avoid those scandals. Uh, the interview with Ed was so beneficial as it opened my eyes to the issues that uh, the housing sector is facing at the moment that I had no idea about, such as uh, one in five uh, property owners in the UK own their property but not the house. So I think one of my first policies as well that I need to do is do some reforms to the leaseholders so basically those uh, one in five property owners can actually now own their property and the land. And another thing as well that I may consider is uh, forming a registry office in England uh, to determine whether certain landlords are fit or not. And also empire, uh, empower uh, local communities by letting them buy the properties that are up for sale and rather than give it to the highest bidder. So, yeah. Little did I know at the time, I had my Prime Minister's support. Mayor is like the Gandhi of our generation. Like, he just sits there and then he'll wait until everyone's talked and then he'll just come and say something really smart and intelligent and knowledgeable. So I know for a fact that Mayor, hopefully, if he's not too tired from all his night shifts that he does, is going to be actually really good at this. So I'm actually... He's the one that I'm least worried about because I know that he will actually try. <laughs> and, um, yeah, hopefully... I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what he comes up with for his presentation because I know that he's going to do the research and I think it'll be quite... He'll come up with some good findings, I genuinely think. Now it's time for our segment, Plonker and Power. So guys, who do we have this week? So I'm going to nominate one this week. And I think it should be whoever is in charge of the cabinet office. And where would that be, Benjamin? Well, so recently, Gavin Williamson, who's the former Secretary for Education, has been um, told he's going to get a, a knighthood. Wait, was he the one through COVID? Yeah, the the one that... Um, Say it again, I won't listen <laughs> Oh so, my god. <laughs> Say again, darling. So so Gavin Williamson. Yeah, never right. heard of him. So do you know in the pandemic mm. when all the schools were shut and then yeah. they were open and then you had to go in and then you didn't have to go in. They never yeah, got yeah, COVID. Yeah. yeah. So that was his job. So it it was a guy that basically shut all schools, reopened them during COVID, gave okay. all the kids coronavirus yeah. because they all were integrating and it messed up everybody's exams as well yeah wow. you know like what a shit yeah you know like the one when we were getting all our grades remarked and yeah. stuff like that yeah that was his that, fault that were him damn Bloody yeah. right okay and, and what about uh, him so so he's getting a knighthood why exactly okay <laughs> so, it doesn't say why well, for his achievements, is that what? Is that, why probably just say, is that why you get an knighthood for your achievements? For your for your contributions to toward, yeah, towards the country. So he contributed coronavirus. And what makes it even worse is that during the pandemic, he received um, calls for him to resign over his handling 
of it. And now he's and he gone. Did. And now he's he didn't resign now. And okay. now he's getting knighted. Yeah, for it. So wow. This it is almost as bad as when they gave Wiley an OBE. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be an anti-Semite. Wiley, who did Heat with? Yeah, they gave him, a, they gave him, they gave him an OBE. Oh, or an he's MBE. an anti-Semite. Uh, they gave him an MBE or an OBE, and he turned out to be a massive anti-Semite. Oh, oh that's a shame. You, I know, I'm going to have to remove him. I'm going to say, I can't listen now. to his music I can't listen now. to Dizzy Rascal anymore, we've got to take it. <gasps> I know, and I love got, baseline got junkie. Oh, what's sake. he done? He assaulted his missus. Push him. <sighs> Who? Uh, Dizzy Rascal, you know, the one does bonkers, baseline junkie, all that sort of shit. Never heard of him, to be honest. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're missing out. They were, they were club bangers. I'm going to send it to you in the group were, chat. Still are club bangers. Maybe not so much now, but. Turn the bass up. I don't think you should use banger anymore. Oh, <laughs> oh no. That's just me. Oh, wow, Ben. That was even too quick for too me, soon. that. Like, I literally just sat here and went, what? <laughs> Yeah, as soon as, he got, as soon as he got his guilty verdict, he went outside and yeah, there, there, was a, there was a reporter filming it and he just grabbed the cameraman's camera and threw it at <laughs> That's the, the best way to prove that you've not done what you <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good I way to prove I didn't assault anyone. Who <laughs> gets a camera on my face? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right, back to the proper geezer that we're on about. I don't even know how to feel about it. I don't even think I care anymore. I think anything pandemic related anymore, I just zone out because I just think... What a what a palaver that was. <laughs> yeah. I think that obviously we shouldn't be rewarding people who no. did such an awful job. Of course. It's didn't like, someone else like It's like giving a handshake to a doctor someone, who dropped a baby. Like you just shouldn't do it. <laughs> didn't someone who like what you call it though, like didn't hadn't someone weird got a knighthood as well? Like uh didn't Jimmy Savile have one or have I made that up? I don't know. Jimmy Savile I don't know. I know Tony Blair's just got one, hasn't he? And yeah, a lot um, of people oppose Brad- that. Bradley Wiggins got one, and all he did was cycle a bit uphill. Right. I can do that. Exactly. Maybe not as fast. But <laughs> yeah. Maybe not as it. fast or good. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll get up that hill. I don't see that as a problem, but with Tony Blair having a knighthood, uh, that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's you go know. back to Iraq. I've got a question. Exactly. Should yeah. we yeah. give anyone in like a political position of power a knighthood? Is, mm, did that's a good the, question. Yeah, but they don't really have political power anymore, I suppose. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like they're yeah. still getting yeah. recognised for achievements that they did while. Like, it depends what they do. Yeah, I don't know why, but it always seems like some of the absolute scrub ends of society get knighted. Yeah. Like why? Why was Maggie Thatcher given a damehood? Exactly. Mm. Like. She, like Maggie Thatcher, the milk snatcher, possibly the, one of the worst humans <laughs> to ever exist. <laughs> and here she is, being like up there with the likes of Bradley Wiggins. <laughs> that was quite an interesting. That's the segment uh, of. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, yeah. segment. So we don't, we haven't even decided if the, if we agree or disagree. With all right, all right, all right. All right. Do so we agree? I think Should he have been knighted? No. I don't think he needs to be knighted. However, I also don't agree that he would necessarily be the biggest. Plonker to ever be knighted. Well, well, everyone agree? Everyone in agreement? Yeah, I, I agree. So. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Thank cool. you, everyone. So, do you agree with our plonker this week? If so, head to Twitter to let us know. Finally, it was time for me to present my work to my peers at the Cabinet meeting. Right, so how is everyone this week? Welcome to the cabinet meeting. 
Number two. Yeah, doing good. What about yourself? I, I've had better days, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. Maya. Uh-huh. It's your turn to take the lead on yeah. this meeting, so take it away. Right, so my schedule is basically, number one is build new houses and regenerate old and abandoned sites. So basically when I when we regenerate old and abandoned sites, that will put less of a strain on the budget. That's number one. Uh, number two, empowerment to the communities. So what I mean by that is basically any property that is up for sale in a certain community, try, uh, try and keep it within the community rather than give it to the highest bidder and uh, let them be basically benefit from it. Uh, and that will basically keep the prices, you know, quite affordable and low for, for the community and for whoever wants to buy a property within that community. Uh, third is reforms to leaseholders. So what I mean by that is some properties in the UK, uh, when you buy the property, you basically buy the property but the, not the land. So you still have to pay a certain charge every, you know, I think every year. And that charge can basically increase year by year. And some, some houses, uh, they've been paying, I think, for more than 100 years, they've been paying that lease. So I think probably do some reforms to that because it's one in five properties in the UK have to do that, have to pay a lease charge. Where does that money go, do you know? You know what? I think it's the government. I think to the government because the, the government, government owns the land. Right. Well, we'll scrap that then. Let's <laughs> <laughs> take that off the agenda. So can we pocket that money? No. <laughs> We're scrapping. It's not coming to us anymore. We'll put it back into NHS. We'd we'd know if we'd be able We're to do that if Gabe was here. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so either kind of like lower the the you know the charge or just scrap the whole thing scrap, scrap so basically it. you know you when you buy the property you're buying the property and the, the land, land rather yeah. than just the property would that because i was thinking wouldn't that give you know to a certain degree wouldn't that give power to the government where they might say to you you know what you can't do anything to your house from the outside like a, i think that's the yeah, reason yeah. why they do it yeah so that's why you have to get planning permission isn't it to yeah. do stuff and some Victorian houses as well, you are not allowed to touch it from the outside. Yeah. It has to stay the way it is. That's so strange. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, last one is reforms to the private rented sector. So what I, what I mean by it is basically do some sort of registration centre that determines whether a certain landlord is fit to be a landlord or not. Because we see a lot, a lot of landlords nowadays you know, they, they'll rent their properties and the property would, you know, would have mould uh, and it might be in a really bad condition, but yeah, they will rent it. And sometimes they rent it for a really high price. Mm. So yeah, just uh, form a, a landlord registration centre and that can determine whether a certain landlord is fit or not. I like that. Like a third party sort of watchdog sort yeah, of thing. It's absolutely, just for regulation, yeah. isn't it, yeah. absolutely. which is obviously needs to happen because... My house is disgusting. <laughs> and not by my doing. <laughs> Makes it sound like I just willingly live in a shit Are you going to live in the same place when you become Prime Minister? I mean, I kind of like that idea, just to keep myself humble. But then again, no, because my contract runs out in July. <laughs> yeah, well, good thinking. Yeah, good so thinking. 
If any, speaking of, if anyone's got a cardboard box that they're throwing out, um, quite big, obviously. I'm five four, so just quite big. Those dimensions. <laughs> so so are small box. Are you gonna leave from Barnsley then? I might just live in a cardboard box outside town centre. <laughs> Barnsley town centre. Yeah, why not? It's where I'm from. Mm. Might not last long. Something why? to think about. <laughs> uh, we don't all have to do that, do we? I don't really want to no. go and live in Rotherham Town Centre. <laughs> it's not very nice. Right. Anyway, I the only thing that I really think was like I agree. I agree with everything you've just said. I also think that we just need to scrap that land. The lease. Lease, because that's just ridiculous. Absolutely. Like mm. I said, we could possibly have put that into NHS funding, but we won't know that. We ain't got an NHS seen as Gibbs. Gesture, no gesture to my right, where there's an empty mic. <laughs> So yeah, Ben, uh, do you think the same? I agree with a um, registry. Uh, no, with a tax. Uh, I think it should still be a thing, but it should definitely be lower because I feel like a lot of older buildings and houses, if people were just able to buy it and have the land with it, then they'd be able to knock down a lot of older buildings that I feel like have a lot of history to them and should be kept up. But that means if you do that, you still not, you still own the property, not the land. Can you still knock the property down? What? So if like you buy a plot of land, yeah. and it's got an old building on it, yeah, and if you buy the house, can you then knock it down? What if you, you mean if you buy the land? And if, it has a, if, if if you don't buy the land, you just buy the house. Yeah. What if you buy it on that lease? Yeah. Then. Um, I don't know if you can actually. I need. I, I need think to you'd look have to ask yeah. for permission. I think so. See, yeah. I understand that. I think so. Like, but but it all you know. I think you know. Pe- most people pay. A lot of people pay council tax. So yeah, yeah. To why, be fair, why? I think taxes in general. And that's that's a bit lower. unfair. That means will be one in five houses in the UK have to pay that, but the other four, four will not. Yeah. So so you either get rid of it or you make everybody pay it. So sort of yeah, thing. you make everybody pay it and then put it into. Other areas that are lacking funding. That'd be more reasonable. Ta da! Look at that. Obviously, we're already doing better. (laughs) Um, Cool. So, you guys agree with it then? Yes. Of course. Good, good. Right, well, I'll call this meeting to um, a conclusion. With my part more or less over, I wondered how the other two guys would get on.